It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the BBC Country Farm Magazine podcast with me, Fergus Collins. In the last episode, I talked to Welsh farmer Daffith Morris-Jones about his concerns with rewilding in his homeland in the Cambrian Mountains and how this would affect him and his local communities. So I contacted Alistair Driver of Rewilding Britain, who is involved in the project in the area called Summit to Sea, in order to get a better understanding of what rewilding offers the British countryside and to put some of Daffith's concerns directly to him. This is what he had to say. You work for Rewilding Britain. Um, in a nutshell, could you tell tell our listeners what Rewilding Britain is? Okay, Rewilding Britain is a very small environmental charity. Um, we uh, aim to be a catalyst for engendering uh, rewilding uh, projects and initiatives in in this country. We have an ambition of about uh, a million hectares rewilded by twenty one hundred. Um, uh, that's only 4% of the land surface of Britain, so it's a relatively small percentage, but nevertheless a major challenge. Um, by rewilding, I mean the large-scale restoration of ecosystems to the point where nature is allowed to take care of itself. Um, but it, but that, that, there are various things that I need to explain around that. What do we mean by large-scale? Well, probably in England and Wales, we mean at least 10,000 hectares. You're talking about per project? Yeah. Yeah. Per, per initiative, and um, and and when we talk about toward to, to the point where nature is allowed to take care of itself, we really mean to emphasise that this is a very long-term process. Rewilding. I always, you know, I always mention this is a present participle. Rewilding is an ongoing activity. It's going to take a very long time. It's going to take decades, in fact, uh, if not a century or more. 
to get to the point where we have truly rewilded, where nature is totally taking care of itself uh, at scale in these sorts of areas. Because, of course, you know, Britain is basically a giant garden and we've man has had a hand in, you know, every square meter of it over the centuries. So so it will take a quite a, quite a long time to get to that point. But that's our aspiration to work with others, to encourage others, inspire, uh, help lead the way towards this um this uh, new type of, I suppose uh, you could, could describe it as a, a a form of nature conservation because it's going, you know, inevitably it will promote much better biodiversity um, and better uh, ecosystem services for, you know, for public good as well as for the benefit of wildlife. And, um, you know, the whole point of rewilding is to, to bring wildlife back in response to um, you know, for our listeners' benefit, who might not be aware of things like the State of Nature reports, are these the things that have have these reports on massive declines of UK wildlife? Are these these are things that have galvanised rewilding? Yes, um, I've worked in nature conservation for forty years now. Um, I've been involved in hundreds of um, all sizes of of uh, restoration and wetland habitat creation projects. Uh, you know, I, I was the first conservation officer uh, for the Thames Water Authority covering the Thames catchment. I went on to become head of conservation nationally for the Environment Agency. And I've had the pleasure of dealing with literally hundreds, if not thousands of initiatives. But they're all, you know, they're not of the scale of rewilding. And despite all of this effort of thousands of people like me for many decades, wildlife is still going backwards in this country. You know, biodiversity is declining um and um we know that you know that's 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 been patently obvious for some time we have very good monitoring and evidence in this country and we know that we are still going backwards despite all of that effort so what we're saying is it's not it's not about abandoning that approach that nature reserve protected site approach it's about continuing that to keep these these jewels going um but to be doing things at scale which, which allows the restoration of healthy functioning ecosystems and natural processes, which enables those jewels to then um, be spread out in, into these rewilded areas and, and to be seeded from these remnant, uh, remnant small sites, small populations of, of scarce and fragile species. So at the moment, um, you, in your talk at, in Cardiff, you, you spoke about some projects that are ongoing. Where can people see the rewilding you've just been talking about? Where can they see that today in action in the UK? Yeah, well, there's, there, there are, there's a range of projects. There are, there's a sort of lowland uh, agricultural uh, projects, which are, which are usually in a farm landscape, a lowland farming landscape like NEP, for example, K-N-E-P-P, NEP in Sussex, um, which is well, well publicised and the excellent book um, by Isabella Tree, Wilding, is 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 out there now, and um, you know uh, people are pe- people are buying it in their thousands. Yes, uh, and it's a fascinating story. Um, and and I've been to Net many times, as you can imagine. I was involved right right at the beginning when they were looking at the river river restoration work there. And um, and I, uh, you know, I can honestly say it is the most stunningly biodiverse site that I've ever ever been to in britain the, the wildlife there is phenomenal truly phenomenal so you can go to sites like nep and there aren't many of them i have to say but i know a few others in in east anglia with, who are uh, farmers who are looking at nep and um 
and thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to have a go at that. I think I can sacrifice some of my land to achieve the, achieve the same objectives. So, so there's that kind of example. And then there's the upland example. And you can go to places like Ennerdale um, in West Cumbria or Horswater in East Cumbria, um, uh, places like that where you can see upland rewilding, still not at the scale that I'm talking about, where I'm talking about 10,000 hectares plus, but a couple of thousand hectares, um, uh, which is significant enough, you know, you, uh, and certainly you feel like it's getting to landscape scale. And, and you say feel, and uh, um, what, 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 what do people expect to see with that? Let's, I know that we're talking about different habitats, but upland, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even difference between the upland sites. Um, but if, you, if you're out in that landscape, you will, you will feel very much like nature is taking care of itself. You know, there's an absence of, uh, or, a, 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 or human intervention is very low key and low impact. Um, so you feel like you're in a wild area. Um, y- you will see, generally speaking, much more nature than you will in unri- unwilded bits of the uplands. Um, and um, and it, it just has it just has a special feel to it, uh, which is hard to explain. You need to really experience it, but it just feels more alive. The amount of insect life, bird song, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are pockets of this too in other parts of the country, like the Peak District. I've been to parts of Dovestone, for example, in the western, the western edge, northwestern edge of the Peak District, Eastern Moors area um, towards Sheffield. You know, there are patches of natural regeneration and rewilding happening there um, uh, through activities by organisations like the National Trust, RSPB, and the Wildlife Trust, etc. So there are more and more pockets of rewilding that one can see in England and Wales. And of course, in Scotland, um, I'm less familiar with the areas, but obviously there's some fairly major projects up, up in the Cairngorms and the, and the southern borders, etc., which are developing. Sounds absolutely thrilling. And as a nature lover, very, very appealing and a story of hope. Now, I spoke to a Welsh farmer, Welsh hill farmer in the Cambrian Mountains, where there is a project that you're involved with called Summit to Sea. And so he, he was an example of someone who isn't definitely yes. wasn't very happy about the whole idea of rewilding in his area um what is the plan with summit to see and then maybe we could talk about some of the arguments that that um this farmer had yeah i won't i won't talk i won't talk specifically about summit to see because we now have a project director who's just literally just started and we'll be starting to talk more about it um, as we move into next year. But I can talk about the general principle because I'm actually busy now um, establishing one or two projects in England which will follow a similar similar approach. So the gist of it is that you uh, you take a large area for a vision which may be anything from say 30 30,000 hectares up to say 100,000 hectares which is what I'm considering in the peak in the peak district uh, as an overall vision area. And within that overall project vision area, you then have cores of a few thousand hectares of land here and there, which ideally you would seek to join up into a 10,000 hectare core area, uh, 10,000 hectares plus. So you'd have core areas of rewilding where you go quite a long way up the rewilding spectrum. And after initial interventions like native tree planting and uh, 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 restoration of peat bog and um, removing offences and where necessary maybe putting up fences introducing the right grazing animals etc the right the right mix of uh, species herbivores uh, etc um, 
to to re-establish natural processes and a healthy balance between healthy soils and water and vegetation and and uh, mammals etc um you do you do all of that initially but then you gradually uh, ease off the intervention because you're letting nature start to take over however really importantly here this is not about excluding people this is not about um uh, kicking farmers off the land far from it it's about trying to make this work in an econo- from an economic point of view and, and a social and community point of view, as well as from a biodiversity viewpoint. So it is definitely not um, at this point in time uh, about wolves and bears, for example. Wolves and bears are, are not publicly acceptable in this country at this point in time. So what I always say is that why don't we just focus on what is doable at the moment, which is restoring the land at scale. We know what we've got to do. We know, you know, I've been involved in uh, catch and restoration for 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 nearly nearly uh, forty years, and I, you know, so we know what we need to do. We know how to do it. Um, we should engage local communities in helping to do that, and in so doing, engender a much better ecosystem services, which benefit society as a whole, like reduce flood risk, improve water quality, improve carbon sequestration, etc. Um, and at the same time, generate a nature-based economy that goes with that. It's certainly not about abandoning farming altogether. When we have these core areas in within smallish core areas within huge vision areas, we'll, we will need buffer areas around them, buffer areas around the core areas, which are in effect high-end agri-environment. They will still be um, still be farmed in a certain way, and even in core areas, there will still be animals because we we can't recreate the aurochs, and we ha- we won't get elk back in in the short term and. Beavers, yes, maybe in the lowland lowland areas, uh, beavers are now starting to return through introductions, etc. But you know we can't get the right mix of native species, native wild species. So we need to think of what proxies do we need, and that yes, that does involve some kind of livestock management, albeit very light touch. So it's wrong for people to think that this is you know this is about abandoning farming altogether it certainly is not it's about diversification and quite frankly what is the option the alternative option for a lot of hill farmers in this country looks pretty bleak to me um you know with with brexit um with basic payment schemes disappearing by 2028 altogether you know i would say uh most most farmers are likely to be better off if they engage in this pro- approach, especially in upland areas where uh, farming at best is teetering on the brink of extinction. Um, uh, I would say, why not explore this opportunity to diversify um, and embrace a nature-based economy which goes with uh, a light, a very light-touch uh, farming land management uh, livelihood? When I talked to Daffith, Morris Jones's farmer, he was very worried about he felt he was one of the endangered species of the uplands he and his fellow farmers and that their traditions and the welsh language that's very important in there but i know that's very specific to that part of wales uh, mid west wales uh the welsh language which i hadn't understood before is is the language yep. of rural business so the whole farming structure which means abattoirs and markets and hauliers and uh, and, and and solicitors and all sorts of people involved in that market all speak in Welsh. And I think he was extremely worried that rewilding, which would, although it might provide the farmers with a living, 
would would take away the need for quite as much of that infrastructure below the farmers. So there would be an effect on the overall farming business in that area and thus the Welsh language and culture. Yeah, well, um, I can understand their fears, but but let's let, let's look at, you know, first of all, let's look at what's the alternative. What's going to happen anyway? Well, if, if nothing, if they do nothing, um, then with the basic payment scheme disappearing, um, it's going to get tougher and tougher to make a living just farming sheep in those sorts of areas. And it doesn't just apply in Wales. It applies in uh, uh, Cumbria and other parts of the country. It will get much more difficult to make that work financially. So there's already a case there for diversifying. Even if rewilding wasn't on the agenda, um, there would still be a case for diversifying in order to survive. The second thing is there is no... Uh, there is no reason why the Welsh language cannot prevail in a diversified economy. I hope that it will still be the people that own and live and work in those communities um, who will embrace um, this approach, whether it be in the Peak District or Lake District or Kielder or, or, or West Wales. Uh, we, want, we want this to be a no-brainer for the people who live and work there. We want them to engage with it because they see it as an opportunity to survive and stay in that area. And quite frankly, this approach, um, a more diversified approach, is far more likely to be attractive to more youngsters than a gruelling, hill-farming, dawn-to-dust existence, barely scraping a living. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I really think that um, the opportunity to have a, a better quality of life whilst enabling uh, you to survive financially um, has to be something well worth looking at. Um, so, yes, I know they're afraid of change. I know they are uh, afraid of losing the cultural identity. That's the last thing we want. We want, we want that to prevail, but in a, in a different type of economy which is able to survive uh, in difficult financial times. So there was some pos- a positive things. I asked uh, David what he would do then to... He was aware that there was big wildlife declines. And he talked about return to the Havodihendra system. So it's moving grazing animals from lowland to upland in a, in a sort of very traditional way. It actually sounds like quite a lot of overlap with you know, talking about bringing cattle back to the hills, which there aren't any cattle on the hills. And it sounds like quite a, there, there could be quite a bit of overlap. Is that, has that been explored, that, you know, that maybe farming systems, refarming as much as rewilding, could, um, could, could, could work together? Yes, yes. I mean, there is definitely scope for um, a, a greater range of livestock because every, every type of animal, even different breeds of the same uh, species, um, have different impacts on vegetation structure. And we know from the NEP example that, you know, this mix of Tamworth pigs and Exmoor ponies, longhorn cattle and um, several species of deer mean that you have all of these different types of intervention. And that's what you would get naturally if you had the right balance of natural herbivores. Um, so, so, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, different different um, uh, grazing animal types, such as uh, rare breed cattle and, and certainly in lower lying areas in uh, pigs, etc. Um, yeah, that that will perform a, a function which helps to restore natural processes. It's not pure rewilding, of course, but you know, let, why don't we just focus on what might be achievable at a stretch? Um, 
and as we move up that rewilding spectrum. And then it, future generations, you know, in 100 years' time, they can decide whether they want to take the next step up the rewilding spectrum and, and re, you know, take their hands off even more. But, um, you know, I see that approach being particularly relevant in buffer areas and also in, in, with animals moving freely around core areas um, with very, very uh, light touch harvesting, if you like, of those animals. Um, in effect, because you don't have the carnivores to control them, you don't have wolves and bears and lynx, etc. So in place of that, man obviously then has to act as a carnivore, if you like, by harvesting. And, and, and as they're doing at places like that, you know, selling fewer animals, but higher quality. And, and, and actually profitability can, can genuinely be greater in that situation. I see. I see. So you're still getting a viable commercial harvest or crop or, or you know livestock from the hills but they're doing a valuable conservation job at the same time or, or re- rewilding restoring job at the same time yeah but I, i'm talking yeah. about a mosaic of situations so in some parts of these big upland core areas you probably have no intervention at all because they're you know they're they're, they're right on the top largely uh, difficult to access um uh, and and there is no need to intervene, but around the edges of them, and certainly in buffer zones around the edges, one would be seeking to apply that approach. Yeah. So so you know this is re- this is a really important point. This is not about excluding farming. Uh, it's about changing farming so that it's able to cope uh, under under future economic pressures, um, but doing so in a way which enables this very significant large scale restoration of natural processes you mentioned obviously the w word it would be good to just clarify to readers there are no wolves going to be reintroduced in our lifetimes in in or very unlikely that wolves will be reintroduced and none of these projects at the moment are looking at wolves or bears or any of these big things but other wild animals being reintroduced uh, beavers you mentioned any, anything beyond that and well the one thing i will be uh I am always clear about, and I'll be clear here, that in order for this nature-based economy uh, principle to succeed, you have to be making the place more attractive to draw visitors into. And in order to make it more attractive, you've got to make it look aesthetically more attractive, or feel like a better place to be, which um, rewilding will do because it, it tends to create a mosaic of vegetation and what are um, often very barren, uh, uh, man-made upland landscapes um, can be uh, quickly uh, restored to something much more uh, aesthetically pleasing. There are some beautiful parts of our uplands, of course, but generally speaking, quite a lot of our uplands are very barren and boring. And and it, it would so intervening in order to establish mosaics of vegetation and um, healthy rivers and healthy wetlands, etc. Uh, which are going to then increase in in biodiversity is a very important step, but also in a, uh, an essential part of a successful rewilding project at scale will involve reintroductions of um, certain species, and usually these will be charismatic species like pine martin, uh, beaver, uh, red squirrel, uh, some of the birds of prey, for example, um, uh, golden eagle, white-tailed eagle, hen harrier. Uh, and then other species like black grouse, um, etc., and even plants—you know, plants like juniper, for example. Um, uh, 
it will be essential that we look on a, a significant rewilding projects. We look at what what suite of species, and I don't, uh, you know, I'm I'm very uh, keen on the idea of looking strategically at suite of species rather than ad hoc randomly just thinking right. Uh, what should we do next? We need to think about what do we need there to achieve that uh, fully naturally functioning ecosystem to to enable natural processes to prevail. And that will mean looking at a suite of species, you know, with proper consultation, following the IUCN guidelines, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, yes. um, um, and that, I know that's going to be really challenging because we are so used to this country, in this country, to a really poor baseline. You know, we, we've been this... You know, we've we've been like this. We've suffered this absence of these species for centuries. Um, so it's not like Holland or Denmark um, or Belgium, where you know wolves are walking into the country, and you know it won't be long before they have wolf wolf packs in in the Netherlands, for example, because enough animals are starting to walk into the country from Germany. Um, so we are an island, and we, that means we are going to have to intervene, uh, and that means you know difficult difficult consultation and i don't for one minute think that we're going to um uh, satisfy everyone there's no way we will but we have to be brave about this and uh, stick to the principles of natural processes healthy ecosystems and uh, ensure that they are these places become attractive places that draw people in um in order for them then to contribute to the local economy through through nature tourism so, so you're not totally ruling out wolves from the by the sound of it or is that... uh, I, no, I, I personally am because I can't see I can't see that we will get wolves back in England and Wales in my lifetime. Um, and I'm probably older than you, but uh, you know I, I don't and I don't see that's not a priority right now. Why don't we just focus on what might be achievable? Um, I you know I certainly um, wouldn't want to be spending the rest of my life trying to negotiate something as difficult as that. But why yes. don't we focus on things like pine martins and beavers and golden eagles? Um, uh, making sure, of course, that we have the right strategies in place to uh, where we need to, you know, to act to reduce their impacts in places where the impact is unacceptable. Yeah, we can't just willy-nilly release them and walk away from it. Of course, we we owe we would owe it to society to um, make sure that you know there is some light touch management. But but um, yes, I think we should be getting on and doing that as part of significant rewilding projects. Yeah. Um, what can you do to help uh, to, to include local people to allay their fears? You know, some of the stuff that uh, I've mentioned earlier from the from the Welsh farmers. What uh, what can you yeah. do to, to 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 sell the brand yeah. rewilding? Yeah. Well, the, the most important thing is that we need to be remain consistent with our messages. Um, we need to encourage people to look at what we've said on our website about our principles because to be honest, there's nothing not to like really about those principles. I've spoken to many, many hundreds, if not thousands of people about this. I've given many public lectures. I've taken votes before and after. The votes in favour are always overwhelmingly in, uh, uh, positive. Um, there, there's nothing much not to like about those principles. So I want people to think about what, what is rewilding Britain saying? Look at our website. Um, those involved with the Summit to Sea project will be able to look at the uh, funding proposal that we secured over four million dollars for um, from the endangered landscapes program they can see what we said we were going to do we are going to do that we are not going to we're not going to suddenly uh, mystically stray from that we're going to stick to what we said we're going to do we owe it to the funders to do what we said we're going to do so there is no hidden agenda um, the, the, the second thing is 
I know that I'm not. We we are not going to uh, uh, be able to allay everyone's fears apart uh, by just talking about it. The only way for us to to significantly win over those who are very uh, opposed is by getting on and doing what we say we're going to do and demonstrating that it works for local communities and it works for nature. Um, and, you know, that means we need time. We need time to get on and, and, and prove that uh, we, we are, are doing what we say we're going to do. And I, and I, and I encourage people not to, uh, not to believe what they read in the sensationalist press, which, which is basically promoting purist, totally purist rewilding, um, because that you know we we cannot achieve that, and we're not intending to 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 try and uh, uh, achieve that that pure rewilding, total abandonment of the land, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That's not on our agenda. And and if if it was, I wouldn't be doing this job. I came from head of conservation for the Environment Agency into this role, and uh, and I actually said at the interview right up front, I said. If, if this is about wolves and bears, then, you know, we can stop the interview now, basically. Right. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. I don't, you know, that's not for me. Um, yeah. But if it's about restoring healthy functioning ecosystems at scale and thus restoring biodiversity and providing rural economic resilience, you know, I would love to be involved. And two years down the line, I can assure you that's exactly the way uh, uh, my colleagues in the organisation, there aren't many of them, it's exactly the way they think, and it's exactly the way the trustees think. And um, we are going to stick to that mission and stay consistent. And we will gradually win over some of the sceptics. But until we've done it at scale on the ground, uh, I, I know we will still have plenty of doubters. So that was Alistair Driver from Rewilding Britain, putting forward a powerful case for rewilding. I'm hoping to head to West Wales in the spring to see the Summit to Sea project for myself and talk again with Rewilding Britain and local farmers. And you'll be able to listen to that podcast later this year. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share about this issue, please email me at editor at countryfile.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more by searching for BBC Countryfile magazine on iTunes or Acast. You can also find plenty more about the British countryside at our website, countryfile.com. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye now. <laughs>